It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome into Locked On Knicks, Alex Wolf and Gavin Shaw here. And Gavin, we are back with Ricky O'Donnell. You might know him on Twitter as at SBN Ricky. Uh, Ricky writes for SB Nation, doing draft coverage there. And Gavin, we finish off our conversation with him today with some really good discussion about what the Knicks could potentially do in the middle and end of this year's draft. Yeah, we, we really get into um, some of the hottest names in um, consideration for the Knicks picks at 27 and 38, including guys like Desmond Bain, Malachi Flynn, Isaiah Joe, uh, Killian Tilly, a guy we haven't talked about a lot on this podcast, someone I'm really high on. Ricky gives a full breakdown on him. Um, and, and then we finish up with some miscellaneous questions, including uh, Ricky's favorite prospect relative to consensus, some like whether it'd be like worth trading like up or down, like near the end of the draft, and a couple of names from Ricky that you might not have heard yet or really thought about. So all that and more right now with Ricky O'Donnell of SB Nation on Locked On Knicks. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. Tucks left, now fires the three, and it's good, and he's fouled, it's tough, and he makes it Welcome to Locked On Knicks. We are back with Ricky O'Donnell of SB Nation. Just a reminder, today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get 20% off your next order. So now more with SB Nation's Ricky O'Donnell. Um, you mentioned earlier, Ricky, um, I, well, you, just now, that um, a lot of teams will want to move down. There's been some reporting on the idea that the Knicks are amongst those teams and and there's something to the idea that in this draft, like the player you're going to get at eight, um, depending on if someone like Killian Hayes falls, isn't necessarily going to be viewed as a significantly better prospect in a vacuum than the guy you would get at 14. So I, I guess what I'd ask you is um, like from a team perspective or maybe even more importantly from a prospect perspective, like what is there like a particular spot in the draft where you really see an inefficiency saying like I would, for example, like I would love for the Knicks to trade back to 13 and hope Patrick Williams falls that way, like a guy that a, a lot of teams are seemingly falling in love with and is super young and like maybe has like a little bit more latent upside than a couple of guys who even go ahead of him. Or if you want to really take a long shot, someone like Alexei Pokachevsky, um, who we keep hearing about and seems like incredibly interesting. Um, so I, I guess even more so than like a specific pick, is there a guy at a specific spot you would be targeting if you're the Knicks? To me, I think you got to just take the best player and you shouldn't really worry about the consensus. Now, obviously, like if you can get extra value by trading down and still get your guy, I think that is for sure the smart move, especially for a team like the Knicks that needs 
as much help as it can get and would certainly benefit from getting additional picks, additional assets, and trading down. Uh, but I don't know. Like The guys that jump out to me who would be g- good fits for the Knicks would be Killian Hayes, Isaac Okoro, Devin Vassell, and Kyra Lewis. So if you take those four guys, I guess, those are just you know names that immediately jump out to me that I would target if I were the Knicks just based on fit and value. Uh, I guess you need to see how you rank those guys and then where those guys, where you think you could get them later in the draft. So if you view, you know, Kyra, let's say, is the second best of that foursome and you don't think that there's much gap separating him and Killian or him from whoever you have as the top prospect, and you can potentially get him in a trade down with Boston, who has obviously three picks in the first round. Uh, I think that, you know, likely that's the smart value play, but... I don't really see there being a big cutoff. I would throw Tyrese Maxey in there, too. And Maxey is another guy who, like, what is Maxey's range? I really have no idea. Uh, like, the Tankathon mock draft that I'm looking at right now has him going number 22. I'd be shocked if he falls that far. I think he's definitely a lottery pick. But in this type of draft, I think uh, there's likely going to be some guys who are sort of fan favorites who fall beyond the lottery. He's one of them. Pokashevsky is one of them. Uh, Patrick Williams, like you mentioned. So there's definitely going to be a few guys who I think fall further than expected. And if the value play isn't moving down, you really just need to try to figure out like how much is differ- differentiating the prospects that you think would be a good building block for this roster. If you really want uh, Devin Vassell and you think you could get him in a trade down to number 11 or 12, pick up additional assets... Obviously, that's a smart play, but also, like, you got to get your guy, too. So you don't want to be caught in a position where, you know, you want Kyra or Vassell at 14 or whatever, and then they're both off the board, and then you're like, well, shit, now we got to take RJ Hampton or something because, uh, you know, the guy you were targeting in the trade down is gone. So it's it's really complicated. I don't uh, – I, I would just try to figure out the guys you actually want more so than uh, – you know, players who you think could go in the range of eight, just try to figure out those guys and then build your board from there and try to figure out the uh, trade down options. Just a reminder, today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. And if you can believe it, the improved Built Bar is even deliciouser. Built Bar now has 18, or should I say 19, amazing flavors because they have a Special edition strawberry flavor going on for October, along with six brand new flavors they introduced, which are caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, and carrot cake, along with 12 original flavors that you loved from before Built Bar became even deliciouser, such as raspberry, German chocolate, banana bread, salted caramel, and peanut butter brownie. Every Built Bar is covered in 100% natural chocolate, and they are soft and easy to chew, much like a candy bar. You know, you get pretty much the same experience of like a more dense Three Musketeers kind of, or like a, a caramel candy bar in the way that the consistency is. It's it's like chewy, but in an enjoyable way, and really invokes that sensation of perhaps, you know, after Halloween, which is coming up, eating a candy bar, you know, and and just having that chocolate rush and, you know, happy feeling from that. But the good news is is that you don't have to be guilty about eating these protein bars that taste like candy bars. Because as it turns out, all the stuff inside of them are good for you, good for your workout, and are not going to, you know, 
break the bank as far as calories and sugar and all that while still giving you a ton of protein for your workout. For example, the peanut butter bar has 19 grams of protein compared to just 180 calories, only 5 grams of sugar, and 5 grams of net carbs. Meanwhile, if you go with a nut-free variety of bar, such as Cherry Barcia, you get 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, only 4 grams of sugar, and 4 grams of net carbs. So if you are interested in picking up some Built Bars for yourself, go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get 20% off your next order. Again, use promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Berea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Berea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Berea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. I do think there's something interesting to be said of, like, playing your hand just right um, and, and making sure that you can still get someone that is higher on your board, maybe than another team. Um, and, and maybe that's where Walt Perrin comes in. If he's like, I feel really strongly about Maxi or Kyra or whoever, you know, and then kind of tells Leon Rose that and is like, we should definitely trade down, though, because other teams aren't that high on him. But I see this, that and the other about him that makes me think that he's going to be a potential star in the league. Um, who are some of the I mean, you, you mentioned a couple already, but like, well, actually, you know, I'll just frame it this way. I'm curious what you think as far as like, because you've sort of framed something interesting for me here, which is that we haven't really been hearing about this much lately, but there's there seems to really be it's more of a seller's market than a buyer's market in this in this like, or, well, I guess you could say in terms of like housing, it's a buyer's market right now to move up versus a seller's market because it seems like nobody wants to move up. So what do you think would be more advantageous to pursue in this draft? Like, I, I think the Knicks are actually weirdly, even though they moved down in the lottery in kind of a good spot here, because there's a chance that some player, be it like a Wiseman or an Okongwu, I think those are probably the two most likely names that I, I would think would maybe slip to their spot. But even of a sell or something like that, you know, if one of those guys are available with the Knicks pick, I think those guys could be very intriguing to a team like the Celtics that's trying to contend that has too many picks, whatever to try to move up into the next spot. And I think there'll be other teams that would potentially be calling the Knicks about number eight, if there's a player like that available. But I also think, you know, you sort of noted this, there's maybe kind of a, kind of a depressed market for the, for moving up in this draft, like into the top two, three picks what do you think would be more advantageous if you were the Knicks, like to try to explore the avenues of moving up or explore the avenues of moving down more? Although I know that the real answer is like 
you explore both of them and, and pick which one is best for your team. But like, which, which do you think could potentially be more advantageous for them in this draft? Yeah. I, you know, you can see it both ways. It's how the board breaks. And that's why I keep talking about having to be flexible. And I'll talk about my own terrible basketball team, the Chicago bulls in this, uh, a couple times in recent past, the bulls, I think have totally done themselves a disservice by being really inflexible. Uh, for mm-hmm. instance, so of the Knicks, for what it's worth. Sorry, yeah. not to interrupt, but like the Knicks have done the same thing. There was so many talks of Phil Jackson and and previous regimes on draft night, basically just leaving the phone on the hook, you know, and not not looking for deals. <laughs> for sure. Well, at least you know those reports that the Knicks were dead set to take Frank Kaminsky at number four didn't come true. But from the Bulls' perspective, it's like when they traded Butler, they went into that draft knowing they were going to trade Jimmy Butler. They were dead set on trading Jimmy Butler, and they took what they publicly said was the first decent offer they got for him. They weren't like, well, this is a, you know, they weren't like, well, maybe we should change our plan because the value play is in keeping him, not in trading him. No, they already decided we're trading him. The first decent offer we're get, we're taking it. Well, what happened? That trade totally blew up in their face. They look like huge idiots and they had to fire themselves because the media criticism got to him basically. Uh, And then another example for the Bulls would be when they traded two picks to move up to get Doug McDermott at 11, I believe. I think they had 14 and 16. It ended up being Gary Harris and Nurkic. And they traded those picks to get McDermott just because they loved McDermott. They were going to do whatever it took to get McDermott. I'm sure they went into that draft knowing that this was going to be the deal they were going to make. They were going to do a two for one. uh, When in reality, like that just wasn't a very good value play on any sort of like draft chart that you see. So uh, I think... Like, as you correctly noted, there could for sure be an appealing trade down offer for the Knicks, even though there's likely been more talk with the Knicks trading up. I know, I know people have been talking about LaMelo to the Knicks uh, since before the lottery, and that'll continue to be a subject, I'm sure, as the draft approaches. But, like, exactly as you said, if Wiseman falls to eight, which I really don't think is going to happen, but Akangu, I could definitely see falling to eight. Uh, it's almost a shame because he's the one guy who I feel very strongly. Kongwu is going to be a very good NBA player. Uh, I think that, you know, the Knicks just need good NBA players. But, like, the one position the Knicks might have settled the center, because Robinson certainly has all the physical ability in the world, and you probably, you know, want to continue to cultivate his talent, see what you have there. You don't really want a Kongwu and Mitchell Robinson in today's NBA. Certainly not. It wouldn't have enough shooting in the front court. So uh, he's, like, sort of the one guy you have to kind of take off the board, I would think, if you're the Knicks. Uh, Unless you want to think about, you know, moving Robinson long term or you just want to make it a pure assets play where you're just going to get the best guy and then, you know, figure it out later. Uh, I do think there's a scenario where someone like a Kangu could fall to eight and a team calls to try to get him and the Knicks best value play is in moving down. So uh, really, I think you got to be flexible. And what's crazy is that, like, what are the, what's the draft clock in the NBA? I think it's five minutes between picks right like i remember watching the nfl draft as a kid and it's like 15 minutes in between picks the first round takes literally forever but at least you have some time to like pick up the phone and try to make a deal and instead we could have a scenario here where like everyone's assuming anthony edwards and lamello go one two i think but you know what if denny goes two now there's been tons of rumors coming out of the warriors camp that they like him I would not believe any of those rumors because there's been so much leaked from the Warriors that I don't really think any of it uh, counts as like substantial intel at this point. But yeah, in those five minutes while you're on the clock, I think that you really need to try to make a smart decision in terms of like where the value play is. 
for the Knicks, it very well could be moving up or it could be moving down. So uh, there's going to be a lot going on, I think, once the first round starts, because I would like to think that this year there's just a lot more volatility within the top like seven, eight picks uh, and a lot less consensus. So you're probably going to have something where a team maybe, you know, frantically is trying to move down and it could be advantageous for the Knicks to move up and uh, try to get a guy. So uh, we'll see how the board breaks. And until we know like exactly what Minnesota and Golden State are going to do at one, two, I think the rest of these teams are kind of flying in the dark. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and locked on NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yeah, I think it's funny you said that because I think Okongwu might be my single favorite prospect in this draft in terms of, I mean, exactly what you said. A guy, like if I had to bet on one guy to have um, at least a 10-year career, it would probably be Okongwu for me. Um, we, we also, Ricky, we wanted to quickly get your thoughts on what the Knicks um, should potentially be looking to do with their later picks, 27 and 38. And um, I more so wanted to focus on 27. Because I think it's it's this really interesting spot where it feels like as someone um, who's a fan of a team that's got burned a lot in the past, I, I feel like the five guys I want them to take at that spot will go like 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, and the Knicks will, will be left like scrambling all of a sudden. And because of the nature of this draft, that probably isn't necessarily true. And I feel like the Knicks will have like 10 or more guys that they feel pretty comfortable taking at that spot. But you, you, you want to cut back to that phrase, um, like the armchair draft expert. There, there are like some obvious guys who seem like, at least based on like what we're hearing, the NBA consensus is will potentially be there at 27 that we feel um, should go a lot higher. Um, I think number one for us in that list, uh, his friend of the show, Spencer Perlman, has, has been preaching um, his, his value uh, for months now to us is Desmond Bain, a, a guy who profiles as probably the best shooter in the entire draft and can certainly hold his own. Defensively, of late, Malachi Flynn is a name you hear again and again and again, like, oh, that's going to be a guy who's just, He's, he's going to be a winning player. He can play in those key moments in the NBA Finals, potentially even as a rookie. And whoever takes him is a genius, and whoever misses on him is an idiot. And and it's interesting to me because Ricky and I, I'd be I'd be intrigued to hear your take on it because I feel like that guy exists every draft, and then it's like very fifty fifty on if that person is like um, like actually that good. And everyone gets to say, "I told you so." I can't believe you let the Celtics Heat dot 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 insert good franchise here um, end up with him. And then um, the other half of the time. That person like ends up being like, eh, he was like, okay. Like I sort of think of um, this is an unfair example because he had some good moments, but someone like Norris Cole, like I remember when the heat got him, everyone was like, oh, he's going to like, you shouldn't have let Norris Cole fall that far. And he was pretty good. Um, the ultimate, ultimate example of that is Jordan Bell falling to the Warriors where um, the Bulls, um, I'm sure you remember, sold that pick. And people were like, okay, this is just unfair. Like he's going to be playing crunch time center for them in the NBA finals. And he ended up being like sort of a borderline NBA player. Um, all of that is neither here nor there. The point is like there, there are these guys that I think the Knicks are in good position to be close to getting, but just missing on. So at 27, I feel pretty strongly that I, I kind of want them to trade up to the teens to maybe get someone like Bain because he's just such a perfect fit for them. But who in like that 20s range really stands out to you for the Knicks or just in general? Yeah, Bane rules. I knew you were going to say Bane as soon as you started talking about this question. So that was going to be my first answer. Spencer knows him certainly a lot better than I do. 
so if you've had Spencer on the show, I'm sure he's given you the sales pitch. But uh, Bain's terrific, and you know, for the Knicks to get him at 27, I had uh, Lakers website asked me yesterday about him for 28. I think that'd be a great pick for anyone in that range. There are a few other guys, though, that I think could absolutely be uh, good selections in that range. Xavier Tillman is one, a guy who I don't think has like a super high ceiling, but you want to talk about a guy who's going to have a 10-year NBA career. Xavier Tillman just like absolutely crushed it in every single advanced stat over the last two years after he replaced Nick Ward in the middle for Michigan State. Uh, his impact on the court was just so visible if you watch the games. Michigan State was a totally different team with Xavier Tillman on the floor. I don't think that Xavier Tillman is going to like battle you in the air at all. He's kind of a ground-bound big man, but so strong, so smart. Uh, I think he's just the type of guy who contributes to winning. So Xavier Tillman would be another name, I would say. Isaiah Joe would be a name, I would say. Absolutely. 6'5", shooting guard out of Arkansas. One of the best pure shooters in the draft. If you want to say Bain is the best shooter in the draft, I think Isaiah Joe also deserves to be in that conversation. I think he has a strong argument for it. He's a guy who's just like a pure shooter on the wing. Maybe you use him like, you know, I guess the idealized version of this role would be like J.J. Redick flying off screens. Uh, able to attack a closeout a little bit, but really he's a movement shooter. And, uh, you know, the same appeal with Aaron Nesmith, I think, earlier in the draft is going to be there with Isaiah Joe. If he was available at 27 for the Knicks pick, I think that would be a great selection. And if the Knicks don't get a point guard like Killian or Kyra early in the draft, if they go with Okoro or Vassell, get more of a wing... A guy I really like is Devin Dotson out of Kansas. I thought he was one of the best players in the country all college basketball season long. Uh, he has sort of similar appeal to Kyra, in my opinion, where he's super fast with the ball. He's able to create separation off the dribble. He can definitely get into the teeth of a defense, I think, off a live dribble. And uh, he could potentially v very well be available at number 27 as well. So uh, those are a few guys who I would immediately circle and – yeah, I think that the Knicks are going to have a you know some good options there. And how about the Knicks making a trade that was like pretty good process by the Knicks? Like we'll see how the results end up, but being able to sign Morris, deal him, getting a late first rounder—that's just like good process by the Knicks and the sort of thing that uh, that franchise hasn't exactly been known for over recent years. Yeah, I tell you what, it was really refreshing this year <laughs> to have that happen. And honestly, it was pretty. Uh... It was pretty satisfying to eventually see the Clippers lose out in the second round and not even reap the benefits of that trade with Morris not really doing that much. It made it feel like a huge, huge win for the Knicks, which is a rarity. You know, even if this pick doesn't work out, I feel pretty confident saying like, yeah, well, you know, even if pick 27 is just a whatever player, at least the Knicks like got something for a guy that ultimately did not win that other team a championship. <laughs> so it worked out pretty good for the Knicks. Um I'm kind of curious about, so there's two things I, I do want to talk about, again, trading, but uh, I do want to first talk about, you had, in your last mock draft, you had Precious Achua of Memphis fall to the Knicks uh, at number 27. He's a guy that I've seen go as high as, like, I want to say it was in O'Connor's mock draft. Like, his latest one, I think I had him going as high as, like, almost 10, 11, 12, something yeah. like that. Um. Do you think that that's a guy that could realistically fall to the Knicks? Like, I, I'm kind of intrigued by him as this, like, maybe he'll develop a three-point shot, but even if he doesn't, he could sort of just be that, like, hyper-athletic backup to Mitchell Robinson, sort of, that could go out there and keep keep things all right on defense, you know, rebound the ball pretty well. He's got 
He's not super tall, but he has a really big wingspan uh, and just sort of a, a spark plug in general. Um, what are your thoughts on him? And like, what do you see about him that makes you think that maybe he could fall that far? Yeah, I think that where I had him in my mock draft right after the lottery will probably be incorrect. Like when you're writing these mock drafts, you're sort of balancing like what, where you think a guy should go and then where realistically he could go. I think it's probably likely that Precious Achua, you know, probably goes in the lottery, but I would not give a team a high grade for taking him in the lottery. I kind of think he's a level of prospect that probably deserves to go more around 20. Uh, And, you know, I'm sure that me having him at 27 in that initial mock draft will probably end up looking pretty poor. But Achua is definitely uh, an interesting player. I think, like, his offense is highly, highly questionable. I think all of his sort of potential lies defensively. He is just super big and fast and long and strong. I saw him play as a high school player on the Under Armour AAU circuit. I used to, uh, back before the pandemic, I used to go watch AAU basketball, take one trip a year, see, you know, the Nike circuit, the Adidas circuit, the Under Armour circuit. And there's some of these kids where, like, you walk in and they just look like NBA players, and Precious Achua is absolutely that way. I mean, already as a rising high school senior, he had – you know, a man's body, basically super broad shoulders, long arms, uh, just looked huge on the court. And I think, you know, when he entered Memphis, people were like, yeah, maybe he's a small forward. But in reality, like the way the league has gone, he's totally a small ball five. And you're just going to try to like basically burn teams in transition with him holding his own, playing like a super fast paced style of ball with him on the floor at the five. So I think it's likely that he goes probably in the lottery. I don't really think he should go in the lottery. I think he should probably go around 20, but uh, he's definitely an interesting player. And, you know, like I said earlier, I think at 27, the Knicks are going to have multiple guys who would be really good options in my opinion for them to take at that pick and would return good value uh so you're, you're just gonna have to kind of see how the board breaks all right ricky a uh, couple more guys i wanted to throw at you before we let you go um th- these are more so at 38 uh initially uh isaiah joe was going to be one of the people on that list so, so you grabbed him um uh, but someone else that i really really like and have continued to be intrigued by is killian tilly out of Gonzaga, um, obviously the concern with him is, is less about his ability and more about his injury history. Um, I know on a Sam Vecini's big board on the Athletic, he's ranked at 39, so conveniently right next to the Knicks pick. Uh, he's someone I would love, love, love to see them end up with with his ability to play inside and out and just how smart he is on both ends of the floor. Uh, what do you make of him, and, and do you think, um, because of that injury concern, he's being maybe slightly undervalued? Yeah, I feel like I've been talking about and writing about Killian Tilly for like a decade at this point. I was at the Final Four when he was a freshman for Gonzaga. They ended up losing a close game to North Carolina in the National. Oh, yeah, I, I broadcast that game for my college radio station. He was he was really good. Yeah, he was great in that game. That's when he was a freshman out of France. No one really knew too much about him. I feel like that season kind of put him on the map. And yeah, Killian Tilly just had a phenomenal impact on winning when he was healthy. He had several sort of college career altering injuries if he's available in the second round i mean no brainer i think every team should take him i love killian tilly by the stats by the eye test by whatever killian tilly is just a winning player he brings so much versatility to the front court for any team so yeah if he's there at number 38 i would absolutely endorse him to be the next pick or for anyone else in that range to really take him uh, he's probably even worth taking a late first round flyer on in my opinion just because if he can stay healthy which is a major major question mark at this point to be totally fair 
uh, I think he has all the all the talent and all the tools to be a pretty impactful NBA frontcourt player. So uh, that's definitely a name I would keep my eye on for the next second round pick. All right. And then, uh, Alex, I don't know if you had a final question, but last thing I wanted to throw at you, Ricky, um, and, and maybe it, it, it's plausible you just talked about him or it's someone else you've already touched on. But who's your favorite prospect in this draft relative to consensus? The guy that you're the most disproportionately high on uh, compared to all the other armchair experts out there? That's a good question. I'm not totally sure what my answer is for that. I really like Dotson. Mm. Uh, So I would view Dotson as like a top 20 prospect, probably. And so I guess maybe the answer is Devin Dotson on that. He was just, I thought he was the best player on the best team in college basketball. Uh, I think that he, you know, his skill set, I think, tracks pretty closely to Kyra's, and Kyra is projected to go much higher. So I think Devin Dotson, for a team that could get him, uh, you know, late in the draft, that could be good. I'm really intrigued by Paul Reed, too. I think that, you know, it's possible Paul Reed goes around, like, 50 or something, but I would have him as a top 30 prospect. I think Paul Reed gives, like, a lot of defensive versatility. His shot looks ugly as hell, but it goes in sometimes. I think he was a pretty good free-throw shooter, if memory serves. Uh, So I think Paul Reed is another guy who could be, like, someone who in college just, like, stockpiled blocks and steals i think he kind of has the the quickness and the versatility to possibly defend on the perimeter as a front court guy on switches uh, and i think that he could be someone who if you can get him in an nba weight training program if he can put on muscle let his body develop i know he's a little bit older too uh he could be someone who could who could pay off and uh, be a pretty versatile nba piece going forward so i've actually got kind of a similar question similar but different uh, I, I don't know if you remember uh, last year, but I was I will talk about this to the day I die because it's probably the most right I've ever been about any one draft prospect ever. But Brandon Clark, obviously, last year it, when we had you on and every single guest that we had on for the draft, I was like, why is he not being considered like a top four, five, six pick? Like I, everything I see about him other than his age screams like he's going to be really good in the NBA. And then he winds up falling to the twenty second pick overall i think last year so who do you do you have a guy that you're looking at right now that you're thinking like this guy might fall and if he falls it's gonna make some team look really foolish i think bane is an obvious one and then i would also throw maxi in there like i Mm -hmm. feel like the way the game is going with sort of big oversized initiators it lets it like it sort of carves out space for a guy like Maxi. So like if you could have Maxi playing off Luka Doncic or Maxi playing off Jimmy Butler, another one of these big oversized initiators, I feel like he's gonna kill it because he's not like your natural point guard in terms of being able to run the show offensively, and he's not like a natural facilitator. But the dude is just a scorer. He's such an aggressive player. The game is played more and more in transition these days. I think he's awesome in transition. Uh, I think he's got a 6'6 wingspan. He's sort of like, he plays defense like a cornerback to me. I always thought that even when I saw him a couple times as a high school player, where he's like playing press coverage defensively, it feels like. Uh, And he's got like a floater and he's got some pull-up tricks. So I really like Maxi. I think that, you know, maybe the success of Tyler Hero in the bubble means that someone like Maxi would move up the board. But the mock draft I'm looking at right now has him at number 22. If he's there at 22, I think that would be a big mistake for all the teams that passed on him. All right, Ricky. So, oh, I was going to say, I got, I got just one more. Um, last thing that I just wanted to run by you is, do you, th- 
it, just sort of another hypothetical. It's just been a lot of like, what would you do? But, you know, it's it's fun to talk about. With the 27th and 38th picks in this draft and with like the amount of talent that we've talked about that could potentially be available, you know, between the 10th and, I don't know, we'll say maybe 22nd, 23rd pick, something like that. I think there's sort of, you can sort of see tiers sort of established there where like there's going to be some guys realistically in the, especially the 10 to 20 range this year that like you could potentially find and I'm I'm not even going to say that they would end up as high as him, you know, as far as potential, but you could find like the next Giannis type of player where maybe this is a weak draft, but there might be someone that you could take a stab at that has high potential in that 10 to 20 range that turns into, you know, multiple time all-star and, and one of the better players in the league. The guys I think about with that are like, like Kyra Lewis, uh, Pokashevsky, Maxi, to your credit, you know, to your point that you just said, do you think that with the 27th and 38th, overall picks that the Knicks could potentially have ammo to get into that range again, uh, you know, to maybe even pick at eight and then somewhere in the, the mid to late teens. Or do you think that the price is just a little too high to move uh, like from just using those two picks, maybe even also cash, which I think that whatever the NBA allows teams now, $5 million, $6 million worth of cash is going to be really valuable for the big market teams in this year's draft based off everything that just happened with the pandemic. Uh, but do you think that they potentially have enough ammo to move up into that range? Or do you think that they're probably best case scenario going to be able, if they package those two picks, move into like the early 20s-ish? Yeah, I would say it's unlikely but possible. And I have no idea what the trade market is going to be. I mean, there's been so much talk that this draft is a weak class that some of these GMs might be like, you know, I don't really want to risk my reputation taking a guy number 16 or 17 overall when I don't have a lot of conviction in them being a good player. Let's just trade down. Maybe it, like, lessens the blowback on me. Uh, if you make a bad pick at 16, it looks a lot worse than making a bad pick at 27. And just giving yourselves, you know, more bites at the apple in the draft where there's more volatility, I think it's sort of always a smart move. And kind of like an egoless move, too. Like, if you've been covering the draft uh, long enough, it's like you're just going to have a lot of misses. And you're going to have some hits, too. So, like, maybe the best maybe the best philosophy is just having sort of less conviction in any one guy and just moving back and trying to take multiple bites at it. So uh, I do think that it's just, it only takes one team to happen, right? So, like, you know, maybe the Nets at 19 kind of see an opportunity to move back, get some more picks. Uh, maybe it's the Heat at 20. I think it's, it's unlikely but possible that the Knicks could move up in that range and uh, – yeah, there would be a lot of intriguing options. Pokashevsky, I think, is probably the the main guy, where if you really want to take a swing for the fences, take the seven-foot guy who can pass the ball, handle the ball, shoot threes, uh, desperately needs, like, multiple years of NBA weight training and just, like, getting high-level reps in games. I think, like, he just... There's not really even, like, enough tape on him and uh, in terms of, like, playing against legitimate competition. But, you know, in terms of uh, the size and the skill set... He might have it. So I think that if you are going to take a swing for someone around uh, that 18th, 19th, 20th pick, Pokashevsky would be a, a good bet for the Knicks or for anyone else. All right, Ricky, you, you were incredibly generous with your time. We really appreciate it. Uh, before we let you go, can you tell us or tell us and tell everyone listening uh, where they can find your work and where they can find you on Twitter? Yeah, you can read all my work at SBNation.com. Uh, like I said, we're going to be launching some additional draft coverage in the coming week, so that should be cool. I'll have you know mock drafts and big boards and all that coming at you, and then our 
network of team sites has also been doing a lot of great coverage. We're going to be showcasing some of that work heading into the draft. Uh, I have a Bulls podcast you could listen to called Cash Considerations. Uh, and yeah, you can find me on Twitter at SBN underscore Ricky. Cool. Thanks so much, Ricky. And uh, hopefully we'll have you on again sometime soon. And, uh, you know, good luck with everything going into the draft. And, and this was really great and really informative, man. Thank you. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. All right. Have a good one, Ricky. You too. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.